Father, we pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would connect your word to our heart and produce a harvest of hope and righteousness and faith and mountain-moving boldness of, um, Lord, bondage-breaking authority that you would live through us and shine through us in a way that transforms uh, everyone around us, be glorified with what takes place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, open it, please, to uh, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 7. Uh, start in the book of Genesis, just start flipping left a little bit. It's before you get to the five poetical books, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, it's the first king, start in Genesis, just start flipping to the right, rather, start flipping to the right, a handful of books, you'll find it, first kings chapter 17. Now, I wonder, how many of you guys have a problem in your life today? Would you raise your hand? It's not a surprise, is it? It's not a surprise. But let me tell you something that might be a surprise to you. If you're a Christian... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which means that the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you have already won your trial. You are already an overcomer. You are already a conqueror. And yet, how many of us live defeated and dejected and demoralized because of the situations and the trials, the circumstances, the discouragements, the disappointments, and yet you are already an overcomer, a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. And today we're going to learn how to tap into that victorious authority that has already been given to us. Because the winning move has already been made when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and conquered death three days later as he vacated that tomb and left it empty. That was the last and final move. For example, when God created the angels, he made a move. Because this whole thing called spiritual warfare, this battle in which we are engaged, it is a move, counter-move, move, counter-move, move, counter-move. Counter and God established his move when he created the angels to worship him. And then Lucifer, that archangel, there's three angels' names mentioned. There's Gabriel, there's Michael, there's uh, Lucifer. Anytime that we hear Gabriel mentioned, that it's, it's always in relation to some message. So Gabriel is, uh, we deduce, is in charge of communications. Uh, God's PR, so to speak. Uh, anytime that Michael, the archangel, is mentioned, it was always in relation to fighting. There was some battle in which he was engaged. So we deduce that, that Michael, the archangel, angel is, if you will, the secretary of defense, or he's the angel of over war, the, the warring angels. And we deduce from Scripture that Lucifer was over worship. And Lucifer rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angels with him. That was his counter move. And so God made his move, and his move was that he created mankind and his likeness for what purpose? To have a relationship with him, to, to worship him, and to bring him honor and glory. He was, in essence, replacing Lucifer and the fallen angels, and then Lucifer countermoved God move, God's move. And what was that? Well, he caused, caused God's creation to rebel against him, and Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. And God came to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where art thou? 
And then he made his counter move against Satan's move. And he established his plan of redemption to redeem a lost and fallen mankind back into relationship, back into worship of him, to give him glory. And so he could purely delight their souls. And then Satan made his counter move when he caused Cain to kill Abel. And God caused, made his counter move when Adam and Eve gave birth to Seth, and that was when men started to call upon the name of the Lord. And Satan made his counter move, and he uh, incited a group of people to build a tower, not to glorify God, but to glorify their names. And so God made his counter move, and that's when he went to the land of the Chaldeans, and he chose a man named Abram who would become Abraham, and that would be God's, God's chosen people in which the Messiah would eventually be born. And Satan made his counter move and caused the Israelites to be in bondage in Egypt for 450 years. And so God made his counter move. And that's when he raised up uh, Moses to stand in front of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God's people were delivered. And all throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament, we see move, counter move, move, counter move, move, counter move, move, counter move. And the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi and the spiritually realm, the heavenlies are silent for 400 years. It's as if God and Satan are each staring at the chessboard. Whose move is it next? And then finally, God breaks through when so-and-so begat Joseph, who married Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And God was saying, I've spent the entire Old Testament choosing a man and working through a man, but now I'm just going to take care of this mess myself. And God became man. And Satan countered that move in the wilderness when Satan tempted Jesus. And the God-man Jesus countered that move when he responded to every one of Satan's temptations with the word of God, and Satan countered that move by inciting Judas and creating a, a huge mock trial and this, this, this frenzy that ultimately had Christ stripped and beaten and crucified, and Satan thought, that's that's but three days later, Christ countered that move and through the resurrection power conquered death. And that is the final move from which we make all other moves. That means that if somebody slanders you or says something about you or a co-worker is fussy to you, you know what? The counter move has already been made and we move not fighting for a position of victory. We fight through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ from a position of victory so that we can say, uh, no matter what arrows come uh, against me, uh, you meant it for evil, Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. No matter what disappointments or discouragements or, or roadblocks have presented themselves against you, we don't fight for victory in these battles. You understand that? We don't fight for victory in these battles. We fight from a position of victory in these battles. Because the final move, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has already been made. So that we can say, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, I know that all things are going to work together for the good of those who love him. 
We even stumble and fall. But even then, if we are in Christ, we don't fight for victory. We still fight from a position of victory because we know through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, according to 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. No matter what comes against you, no matter what attacks are assailing you, no matter what people, no matter what words are coming against you, no matter what your situation looks like. We fight not for victory, but we fight from a position of victory. Now, how do we do that? 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah gives us an incredible case study on how we fight from a position of victory. So let's read. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah steps onto the scene with absolute authority. And the scriptures read, Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, who was the king of the, 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 the northern kingdom, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, about four years after King Solomon's death, the kingdom divided, and this is in relation to the northern kingdom of Israel. Ahab was a very wicked king. And this prophet steps onto the scene and says to Ahab, as the Lord, my God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So, we read in Scripture that Abraham prayed. We read this in James chapter 5, verse 16, and it says that the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. And then in verse 17, we read that Elijah, this guy that we're going to read about, is just like us. There wasn't anything superstar about him. He was just like us, flesh and blood. And he gives us a pattern to follow so that we can fight not for victory, but we can fight from a position of victory through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We read in James, in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 17, that Elijah was just like us, and Elijah reigned, and the heavens shut up, and there was no, Elijah prayed, and the rain shut up, and there was no rain in the land for three and a half years. Three and a half years later, Elijah prayed again, and guess what happened? The heavens opened up, and rain fell. And this is the authority that we have. So, how many of you guys have electricity in your house? How, how many of you have ever like been without electricity in your house? Good, I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know, we have electricity that, that's flowing through the, the, the wires in our house, don't we? It's power. And then we also have appliances. We have a refrigerator. We have, a, we have an air conditioner. We have a coffee maker. We have a uh, you know, we, we have a stove, we have ovens, we have a myriad of other uh, um, appliances. We have power running through the wires. And then we have appliances that provide for our needs. But you know what? It takes a point of contact, doesn't it? For the electricity that's running through our wires to make its way into our appliances in order to provide for our needs, whether it's uh, hot water, cold water, hot air, cool air, whatever it might be. There is power running through the wires, and there's appliances that need our needs. 
and which we're very grateful for. We're very grateful for them. But in order for these appliances to meet our needs again, there has to be some point of contact, doesn't there? We have to turn on a light switch in order in the nighttime to walk in the light. We've got to turn on the thermostat, turn it up or turn it down, in order for in the summertime to have an oasis in the four walls of our house. There's a light switch. There's, a, there's an on and off switch that we have, to, we have to click. We have to flip in order for the electricity to make its way from the wires into the appliances to provide for our needs. And we know that we serve a God of unlimited power. You do know that, don't you? I mean, he created the heavens and the earth by his word. He flung stars into an infinite space and carved the canyons 10,000 feet deep and stacked the mountains 20,000 feet high and he can hold it all in the palm of his hand and the infinitely expanding universe is all held together at the power of his word. We serve a God of infinite power who makes all of his power available to us in order to provide for every one of our needs. But we see in scripture from Genesis to Revelation that there has to be a point of contact in order for God's power to flow through our lives in order to meet every one of our needs. And the point of contact is called prayer. So let's take a look at just a Highlighting, We're just going to highlight a few verses uh, about how Elijah tapped into the limitless power of God at the point of contact, prayer, so that all of his needs were provided for. We read in chapter 17, verse 2, then the word, well, actually, let's go to Genesis, First uh, Kings chapter 17, verse 20, then Elijah cried out to the Lord, Elijah cried out to the Lord. Lord my God, you brought this tragedy on this widow and her son died and he prayed and stretched himself over the boy and he prayed, Lord my God, let this boy's life turn to him. The unlimited power of God flowed through these prayers and provided for needs. What was the point of contact between the provision of needs and the power of God? The point of contact was prayer. We see this over and over throughout Scripture, but we're, as a case study, zeroing in on Elijah's life. We read again in verse 36 that the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. It was a big showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel. And he prayed, and he prayed, and guess what? Fire fell from heaven. We won't go into it, but over and over, we see that there were needs. There were real, tangible needs, and there is unlimitless power. And Elijah stepped forward at the point of contact by flipping on the light switch through prayer. And this is why before Jesus, incidentally, raised Lazarus from the dead in the New Testament, he prayed. He prayed visibly, he prayed openly, he prayed publicly, and he said, Father, you know I'm praying for the benefit of those around. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. When Jesus had a multitude to feed and he only had a sack lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish, he took it and he blessed it. He prayed and he broke it. And he multiplied it. 
why? He's showing everybody that the point of contact between God's power and our provision is prayer. Which is why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to heal the sick. Lord, teach us to bring the dead back to life. Lord, teach us to multiply loaves and fishes like this. Lord, teach us to walk on water. Lord, teach us to calm the storms. Lord, teach us to teach like you. Teach us to speak like you. Teach us to have the authority that you have. They didn't ask any of that because they knew the source of his power was prayer. Because he intentionally prayed to let everybody see what the source of that power was. That's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. There is unlimited power in the heavenlies through the Spirit of Christ and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The final move has been made. The game is over. The game is, is, has been won. We are not fighting for victory in whatever it is that we're up against. We are not hoping things work out. We are not hoping that somehow, some way, things are made new. We are not hoping somehow to be forgiven and made right with God. We are fighting from a position of victory. And again, the point of contact between the power of God and our provision is prayer. But now... I want you to say something that maybe you've never really understood about prayer before. And I believe that this is so exciting. Let's go back to chapter 17, verse 1. So Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbite in Gilead said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the heavens were shut up and there was no rain. And there was a severe drought. That was a big deal in this agricultural community, in this agricultural land. That was a big deal. We read, and it wasn't just at his word, it was at his prayer, because we read in James chapter 5, when James is reflecting on this Old Testament scenario, that James says that Elijah prayed, and the rains were shut up. He prayed again, and the windows opened up, and the rains fell. But what I want us to see is that the point of contact, our prayer, is most powerful and most effectual when that point of contact is in alignment with that in which God has already decreed. You know, we can go back several hundred years to Deuteronomy, a few hundred years back to Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 13 through 17. And you want to know what God says through Moses. In Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verses 13 through 17, God says to Moses, listen, if there's ever idolatry in the land, if my people ever stop worshiping me and they stop worshiping the gods of, of other lands and, and other nations and they start seeking immorality to satisfy their hearts rather than my face and walking according to my ways, if my people ever begin living in idolatry, God said several hundred years before, 1 Kings chapter 17, God said in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 through 17, I'm going to shut up the heavens and there's going to be no rain, not even a little bit of dew on the ground in the morning, absolutely nothing. 
But if my people turn, if they cast down that idolatry, and if they begin seeking my face again, then I'm going to open the windows back up and the rains are going to flood. So we see that Elijah just wasn't doing his own thing here. Do you see that? He wasn't doing his own thing. His point of contact, there was the channel for God's power to flow and, 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 and give him provision. It wasn't just random. It wasn't at Elijah's whims. In other words, Elijah didn't say, hey, God, here's what I'm doing. I, you know, I was in a little confrontation with Ahab, and I just sort of spewed off some things here, and, and I really need you to follow through with what I said. Elijah wasn't saying, God, here's here's what I'm doing, here's what I said, and I really need you to bless it. I mean, because I'm in a mess if you don't bless it. No, 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 no. He wasn't just going off on his own and saying, God, here I am, bless me. Elijah tapped in to what God had already decreed, and he aligned his prayers with what God had already decreed. In other words, prayer effectual, fervent, righteous prayers that utterly move mountains. Prayer is not getting God to do something that God really didn't intend to do, but because you prayed well, he feels like he better do it. Prayer is not getting God to do something he didn't originally tend to do. Prayer is aligning your faith with that in which God has already decreed to do. So you see it in 1 Kings chapter 17, that Elijah had such boldness, had such authority when he said, I'm going to pray, and it's not going to rain for years, and then I'm going to pray again, and it's going to be raining again. He wasn't on a whim. What he did was he was going back decades and decades before, and he was grabbing hold of that in which God had already, already decreed, and then he was pulling it into his life today. And this is the most powerful kind of prayer. Now, it's something that all throughout Scripture is called the Word of the Lord. And that might be a new concept. But if you're not comfortable with that concept, I encourage you just to begin reading in Genesis and begin reading all the way through, and you'll see over and 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 over again, this phrase, the word of the Lord, came to Elijah or so-and-so. For example, chapter 7, verse 17, verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said, there's a drought, go to the ravine, the ravens will feed you. So Elijah went to the ravine and he prayed, oh, God, feed me through the ravens. And the ravens brought food to him. But you see how it wasn't just Elijah just praying on a whim or Elijah just going to a ravine and expected to be provided for on a whim. The word of the Lord came to him and he obeyed and he aligned his prayers with the word of the Lord. And we see it again in chapter 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him again and said, now go to this widow and etc. And... We read on after three and a half years, chapter 18, verse 1, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, it's about to rain. And so Elijah aligned his prayers with the word of the Lord. 
We see in chapter 18 and verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, and well, the, 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 he was functioning in the, the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord is a little different from the scripture or the word of God. For example, the scripture and the word of God is universally applicable for all people at all times, all Christians, every generation, the just shall live by faith. That's universal, period. You confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. That's, that's universal, period. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the, the word was God, the word became flesh with Christmas morning and Jesus walked among us. That's universal. That's just a universal, absolute truth. The word of the Lord is for a personal situation in a specific time, at a specific juncture, when you have a specific need and the word of the Lord comes to you it ignites a promise. It's something in which he has already decreed. And in a very personal way, you pray that and you believe that into your life. And you persevere. And it's a matter of time before it becomes a reality. For example, uh, the first ministry I had the privilege of serving in was the Young Life Ministry. I was a Young Life leader at Eastern Hills High School from 1992, about 1994, 95 or so. And I began this ministry with a prayer, Lord, just let me lead one kid to you. And I, I would be at the lunches every day, meeting kids, well, actually two or three days a week, but meeting kids and hanging out with them on the weekends. We'd have a Bible study for them at a house on Monday night for three and a half years, just building relationships, inviting kids, inviting, 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 hanging out with them working two jobs and, and really struggling to keep my, my grades up, but my real passion was young life, and yet that was producing the least amount of fruitfulness in my life. It was the most taxing and resulting in the least amount of dividends in my life. And I thought, something's got to give here. I mean, I, 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 I can't let go of my jobs. I, I didn't feel released to let go of school, but my main passion and priority was young life, but I thought, but I had the heart for ministry. I'm just not cut out for it, obviously. And I remember one Saturday morning, I was going to take some kids rock climbing at uh, Mineral Wells State Park. I woke up about 6.30 in the morning, and I just began reading where I left off, the book of Galatians. I read Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I'd never read that verse before, but it changed my life, and it said, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. I, I felt that God might as well have just been sitting on the foot of the, the, my bed and Jesus just might as well have just spoken that to me audibly. That's how much it connected with my heart. It was a word of the Lord. At that moment, at that juncture, in that time. Is it true for all people in all places and all, all time? Yes, but at that moment, God had that word for me. And when you're seeking the Lord, God will give you a word of the Lord. And you'll say, believe me for this. Pray this back to me. And watch me do this in your life. By the end of the semester, I remember there was a packed out living room. And on one night, eight kids prayed to receive Christ. And it was, uh, it was my version of the sky opening up and the rains falling. 
There was a time I was downtown Fort Worth, and, and I was reading my Bible, and uh, this was back in 2001, and, and I read, I was just reading my Bible, just spending time every day like I do in the Word, and, and I read Jesus said, nothing is impossible for those who believe. It was in red, and I underlined it, and it was a word of the Lord. It was personal, it was specific, it was for me at that juncture, at that time. And God was saying through the Holy Spirit, believe this. Pray this back to me. Act upon this. And I did. And I thought, well, nothing's impossible, what would I do? And that was back before the, the Riata bought out Caravan of Dreams. And I said, I know what I would do. I'd walk right over to the Caravan of Dreams. I would rent it out. And I would start inviting ministries everywhere to come be part of this. And we'd all bring our lost friends. And many people would come to Christ. And probably three months later, that's exactly what happened. So how do we know if the word of the Lord is for you. I mean, how do you know? How do you discern? How do you distinguish? So, let's look in chapter 18. Elijah said to Ahab, the king, go, eat, and drink. This is after a three and a half year famine. He said, go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. How did he know that? Again, it was the word of the Lord. So, Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. Now, this is the first, I think, real um, action step, the first real principle that we glean from uh, the point of contact in our prayer and our point of contact being in alignment with that in which God has already decreed so that we're not praying again, God, here I am, bless me. God, this is what I'm doing, bless me. But instead we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you going? What do you want? And we align our lives and our obedience and our prayers, that in which God has already decreed. And the first principle and aligning our prayers and lives with that in which God has already decreed so that like Elijah, we call fire down from heaven and we call rain down from heaven and we even stop the rain. The first principle, watch this. The king went off to eat and to drink, but Elijah went up higher on the mountain to pray. So the first principle that we gain is proximity. It's proximity. Elijah wanted to get closer and closer and closer and closer to his, uh, to his God so that he could hear the voice of God. Ahab was miles away from God in his relationship. I mean, physically, they perhaps both had the same proximity to God because they were standing side by side, but spiritually, they were miles apart. Ahab was miles away from God in his relationship. He was a very wicked king. He was miles away. Elijah was very close, and Elijah was climbing the mountain to get even closer. That's why Elijah had the word of the Lord, and Ahab was far away. 
You say, but hold on a second, Elijah's a prophet. No, he was a prophet, but we read in James chapter 5, verse 17, that Elijah was a man just like us, and so therefore our prayers ought to look just like him. We have that kind of potential when we pray. The reason that Ahab didn't hear the sound of heavy rain in the horizon, moving inland, even though there was not a cloud in the sky and the sun was beating down on them both, is because he was miles away and Elijah was very close. And so he could hear the voice of the Lord. And the closer that Elijah got, the clearer that voice was. So he went up on the mountain when, he, when Ahab went off to eat and drink. And this is how we hear the voice of the Lord. When God speaks to our heart a decree that he's already made, something that he wants to do, something that the answer has already been given. In fact, prayer is not just calling out to God so that he answers us. Prayer is that the answer has already been given and God is waiting for somebody to call up on that answer and pull it back down into their lives. That's prayer. The answer has already been given and God is looking for somebody to have the faith to pull it up, pull up their prayers and bring that answer down into their lives. Ahab went off to eat and drink. What did Elijah do? He went higher to fast and pray. You want to hear the word of the Lord spoken to you in a manner that you can pull fire down from heaven and rain down from heaven and shut up the sky? Well, then you've got to seek the face of God until you hear from God. Others are going to go off and eat and drink, but you are going to go into your prayer closet and fast and pray. Others are going to go to the movies, but you're going to go open up your Bible and seek the face of God. Others are going to go indulge their pornography or their addictions or whatever else it might be, but you're going to walk in holiness and righteousness and seek the face of God, and you are going to pray through until the Spirit of God breaks through and whispers a word into your heart. This is what I want to do through you. Believe me for this. Call upon me for this. I've already answered it. Call upon me and receive it. So the first thing that we see, the first principle in praying like Elijah is all about proximity. We've got to get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to God. Let everybody else eat and drink. Let everybody else go do their thing. Let everybody else just go numb their spiritual senses through uh, just being addicted to social media or whatever other trivial thing is out there these days. But we seek the face of God until the Spirit of God whispers to our hearts. Second principle we learn. The first is we have to exercise proximity in prayer. And in relation to proximity in prayer, know this. Prayer is perhaps more about what we hear from the Lord than what we say to the Lord. That's, that's what the proximity in prayer is all about. It's, it's more about what we hear from the Lord than what we say to the Lord. The real secret in Elijah's praying wasn't that he said, God, let it stop raining, and then God, let it start raining. The real secret in Elijah's praying was that the word of the Lord came to him. It was a specific decree spoken centuries before to Moses in Deuteronomy. And that word of the Lord was personalized in Elijah's situation. And so Elijah pulled it down into his life by faith. So the real secret in prayer is listening to the Holy Spirit's leading and voice. 
and activization of promises in our lives. So often, we want the windows of heaven to open up and God to pour out blessings upon our lives without ever casting down the idols in our lives. But Deuteronomy chapter 13 was very specific. When my people are committing idolatry, I'm going to shut up the blessings. God is still gracious, and he causes the, 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 the sun and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike on a daily basis for us. The breath that we just now took, the eyesight that we've enjoyed this morning, all of those prayers were just the unimaginable grace of God upon our lives. God is so gracious to us. There are some blessings, though. When we begin committing idolatry, God just shuts up the heavens, and we expect the, the heavens to open up and the blessings to pour upon our lives without ever casting the idols down. So, it's about proximity. Again, the real secret in Elijah's praying wasn't just that he prayed it, but that he activated what God had already decreed. Elijah didn't say, here's what I'm doing, God. Bless it. Elijah looked back to what God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 13 and said, this is what you're doing, God. I'm going to get in line with you. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to pray it, because that was the word of the Lord for, I, for Elijah. Second principle that we see is that the first was the proximity in prayer, and the second is our position in prayer. This is awesome. Look at this in verse 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel because Elijah understood the real power in prayer was about proximity. But then it's also about our position in prayer. Look at Elijah's position. So then Elijah bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. It's an interesting detail, isn't it? Elijah climbed the mountain bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. What is this? Well, this is before the days of hospitals, isn't it? This is before the days of, of, the, of, of the modern posture of giving birth. This is the ancient Old Testament biblical posture of birth giving. Elijah climbed the mountain, bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And that's how he prayed. The biblical term for this would be laboring. He travailed in prayer. He was, he was impregnated with a promise from God, and he travailed in prayer until that promise was going to be delivered. So many of us want a miracle from God without ever being impregnated with a promise from God. We want a miracle from God without ever being impassioned by the Spirit of God. We want, we want a miracle from God without ever being impregnated with desperation from God. And there's some kinds of prayers that, that, that you don't need to be impregnated with a promise and impregnated with passion and impregnated with the presence of God and, and impregnated with desperation from God. And there's some kinds of prayers that, that you don't need to travail until those prayers are, are given birth to. Uh, you, you, you can bless your food with those kinds of prayers, right? God, thank you for this food. Thank you. you, you we, we just throw prayers like that 
that out all the time. But, but if you need a miracle, if you need to call fire down from heaven, if you need to shut up the heaven so that the rain stops, then your spirit needs to be impregnated with a close proximity, relationship with God, a word from the Lord, the promises of God, desperation from God, and then you travail in prayer until that miracle is born. The third principle that we learn from Elijah in praying is perseverance in prayer. So then in verse 43, Abraham, I'm sorry, Elijah tells his servant, he says, go and look toward the sea. And so his servant went and looked. And he came back and he said, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And he kept coming back every single time. And he said, nothing's there. Perhaps this is the most critical of all the lessons in praying. There's nothing. After all this, this proximity and this travailing and this being impregnated with the word from the Lord, this certainty, this assurance, this faith, and he prayed. And he didn't just pray, but he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and, prayed and nothing the sun is still scorching. There's still not a cloud in the sky. Have you ever been there? And have you ever just felt like, so what's the use? Let me just go live like Ahab. I mean, what difference does it make? But Elijah persevered in prayer. And so he said, go back again. And the seventh time he goes back and he, uh, he looks over the coast and he came back and he said, I see a small cloud in the, in, in the horizon, but it's as small as a man's hand. It's hovering, it just collected out over the sea, way out there, but it's as small as a man's hand. Have you ever prayed for the skies to grow black with clouds and lightning to flash and the rain to pour and after travailing in prayer, you got a cloud the size of a man's hand way out in the horizon. That's almost as discouraging as, as no cloud at all, isn't it? You're like, God, I prayed for a storm, and there's a small cloud out there the size of a man's hand. But he kept persevering in prayer. And that cloud began moving inland. And as that cloud moved inland, it grew bigger and bigger and bigger until it finally covered the entire sky. So just let me ask you, when was the last time you needed to call fire down from heaven? When was the last time you have needed to call a storm down from heaven? Or when was the last time you needed to shut up the windows of heaven so that it was calm? When was the last time? I want to encourage you to not grow weary. Don't give up. Focus on your proximity in prayer. Continue to seek the face of the God. Pray through until the Spirit of God breaks through and whispers to your heart a word of the Lord. And then persevere in prayer. Even if you have to pray one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times and you prayed for a storm and all you got as a result was a small cloud way out there in the distance, continue to persevere in prayer. Watch this. The storm was going to just absolutely 
just sweep through the land. Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So Ahab is a king. He's got a chariot. He's a king. He doesn't have just one horse pulling the chariot. chariot. He's got many horses. Verse 45, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started. This started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel, and the power of the Lord came on Elijah. I think of Caleb the, from, from, from Moses and Joshua's day, Caleb, who was 45 years old. He was full of fire and full of passion, and when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, he was about 85 years old, and he had just as much fire and passion as when he was 45. That's what happens when you pray through until the Spirit of God breaks through. I Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, those who wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. But waiting is not passive, waiting is active. What do we do when we wait? When we wait upon the Lord, we near our proximity in prayer. When we wait upon the Lord, we are mindful of our position in prayer, and we travail in prayer. When we wait upon the Lord, we persevere in prayer. Even if there's no response, we continue to persevere in prayer. Even if the response is as little as a man's hand, the, the cloud is small as a man's hand, we continue to persevere in prayer, and then the sky will grow black, the wind will rise, and a heavy rain will start to fall. And when that happens, we can relate with Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord. Again, waiting is not passive. Waiting is active. It's our proximity. It's our position. It's our perseverance in prayer. Those who wait upon the Lord, it's not active. It's, it's not passive. It's active. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And we read in verse 46, the power of the Lord came on Elijah. He tucked his cloak under his belt, and he ran ahead of King Ahab in the chariot with all these horses pulling him. This is a supernatural energy. It's a supernatural strength. Because as you're travailing in prayer and persevering in prayer, hearing a word from the Lord in prayer, as you're waiting upon the Lord, not passively, but actively waiting upon the Lord, what happens in you as you wait upon the Lord is far more important than whatever it is that you're waiting for. Whatever is happening, whatever God is doing in your heart and mind, as you wait upon the Lord, is far more important than whatever it is that you're waiting for. He's renewing your strength. He's building your character so that you look like Christ. So that you can run and not grow weary. You can walk and not faint. And everybody knows that God is with you. What is the good in that? Because then everybody wants the God that you have in your life. They want to worship that God. They want to serve that God. So, I'll ask you again. When was the last time you've called fire down from heaven? When was the last time you needed to call fire down from heaven? Do you need that now? You're not fighting for victory. The victory has been won. You're fighting from a position of victory. And Elijah models to us 
Don't just pray, here am I, God, bless me. But God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What have you already decreed? I need a word from the Lord. And seek his face until he impregnates your soul with that word and travail and persevere in prayer. Oh, the answer will come. And when it does, like Elijah, you'll probably have to play, pray seven times more than you thought. You'll probably have to wait seven times more than you thought. I mean, am I the only one that can relate with that? Sometimes, sometimes it's like a bolt of lightning, those, those answers. Sometimes it's a process. You'll probably have to travail and persevere and near your proximity seven times more than you anticipated, just like Elijah. Again, because what's happening in you as you wait actively is far more important than whatever it is that you're waiting upon. God was far more concerned with Abraham being able to mount up with wings as eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint than he was the rain. The rain's going to come. And when the rain does come, it's going to be a far greater rainstorm than you ever, ever imagined. And you're going to need that spiritual strength and that spiritual character to be able to withstand that blessing. God's got an answer waiting for you. He's already decreed it. Through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you've already won. He's got an answer waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to reach up and bring it down in faith. Some of you have heard this story about Baja Beach before, but I'm going to tell it again. Because... Like if you went through the Red Sea or if you went through the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wouldn't you tell that a few times? <laughs> so several years ago before we started HopeWorks, um, I was involved with this Friday night outreach. We had bands come out and we shared the gospel and we had an outreach at the lake. And it was Baja Beach. It's not there anymore, but it was at Benbrook Lake. It was a big night for us. Our, our ministry really needed a momentum boost. We prayed, we fasted, we prepared for this night. We're playing sand volleyball, and, and the, the clouds are kind of rolling in, and I'm thinking, gosh, I hope it doesn't rain. And people said, Shane, if it starts raining, what, what are we going to do? And I was like, it's not going to stop raining. Or it's not going to start raining. We, we put too much prayer into this night. It's not going to start raining. The winds kind of got cooler, started blowing. Shane, what, what are, what are we going to do if it starts raining? It's not going to start raining. A few drops start falling on us. What, 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 where are we going to go? It's not going to start raining. I just knew there were too many people there who needed to hear the gospel, and I'm running the gospel through my head, exactly what I'm going to say, and I'm thinking, we're not going to get rained out. It's just not going to happen. And then we are all huddled under this pavilion, and it is a full-blown rainstorm. I mean, it's the kind of rainstorm that's raining so hard, the rain is blowing sideways. Um, metal trash barrels are blowing over and rolling. You know, uh, plastic plates and cups are flying off the picnic table. And there's, and they're like, Shane, what, what, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And we're being absolutely rained out. And there's this guy in our ministry, his name was Don Thomas. We called him Big D. He had a very special gift. It was the gift of faith. And so Don, he was a new Christian, and he's a big burly guy. And so from the other end of the, pavil of the, of the pavilion, Don yells out, why don't we just pray that the rain stops? And in my mind, and everybody just looks at me like, yeah, that's a good idea. And in my mind, I think, shoot. It's just like a new Christian, you know, all faith, no wisdom. And I thought, Don has no idea the position that he just put me in. 
And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to do. A little bit later, Don says, why don't we just pray that the rain stops? And again, everybody just looks at me. And I had no choice. I mean, I mean, if I say, if I say, okay, let's pray that the rain stops, and obviously the rain isn't going to stop, how foolish are we going to look? And if I say, no, let's don't pray that the rain stops, uh, that's silly, how hypocritical are we going to look? So am I going to look like a fool or am I going to look like a hypocrite? Well, I chose to look like a fool. So I said, okay, let's pray that the rain stops. And so Don and this guy named Sean Socher were on each side of me, and they put their arm around me, and they said, okay, Shane, you pray, we'll agree. I said, okay. They put their arm around me, and I began to pray. And you know, this is what happens sometimes. You know, sometimes we're just so timid and weak and fearful and faithless, but it's when we take that step of faith that the Holy Spirit surges our heart with boldness. And I remember my prayer in its entirety. I said, God, there are a lot of people here who need to hear what you've done for them on the cross. And this rain is really hindering things. And so we pray that not five, not three, not two minutes from now, but right now in Jesus' name, stop the rain. And at that moment, it was perfectly calm. And we were in the circle. I was literally covered in goosebumps. It's the kind of thing where kind of all your emotions were kind of just right there at your throat. And I just remember pr- not wanting to break this prayer huddle. I remember thinking, praise God, I've read about moments like this, but we're actually in one of these moments, these miraculous moments, this God moment. And then we broke our prayer circle, and we looked up, and they were all just looking at us. They were looking at me like I was Moses or something like that. And... and And I thought to myself, I thought, sermon intros don't get any better than this right here. This will be the greatest sermon intro of my life. And I said, guys, the same God who came to earth and walked on waters 2,000 years ago and calmed the storms is obviously still alive and still calming storms. And he wants to step into your heart through faith in Christ and calm the storm if you let him. None of us there will ever forget that night. That's the power of God, being activated with prayer through the word of the Lord, through travailing in prayer. God already has an answer for you. God already has an answer. And I can't wait to see in your life when this rain shuts up or when the rain falls or when the fire falls from heaven. But it's going to be more than you imagined, and it's going to evoke your praise, and you're going to worship Jesus, and everybody's going to want to worship the same God that you worship. Would you stand with me, please? you're prepared for baptism, you can make your way out and and get changed, and then we'll all join you in a moment. But, you know, we just read about Elijah, guys, and, uh, you know, I just, I just want to encourage you to align your heart with Christ. Would you, would you bow your, your heads with me, please? Maybe you need a word from the Lord. I could go on and on. We don't have time, but I could just go on and on and on about personal words from the Lord that he gave me. Uh, Personal words from the Lord. I mean, it, it might have been a, a, something from Scripture that I've read a hundred times before, but at that moment, in that juncture, at that season, right then, the Spirit of God said, now, this, believe it, receive it, pray it, stand upon it, travail, and persevere, and I'm going to do it. And maybe you need a word from the Lord. Maybe you need a spiritual breakthrough like that. Maybe you just need to realign your heart and life with the Lord. Perhaps... Perhaps you represent Ahab more than Elijah.
running off to eat and drink, running off to do your own thing, running off to live your own way, instead of climbing Mount Caramel a little bit higher and getting a little bit closer to God. Maybe you just need to repent. Maybe you just need to turn to Christ. Maybe you desperately need for it to start raining. Blessings. But you haven't begun to cast down the idols in your life. Maybe you just need to repent. Maybe God has already given you a word. And maybe you just need to come forward and say, God, you gave me this word. Whatever it might be. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. What's the word that God has given you? Persevere and travail in prayer. And so in our response, I just want to invite you to come here, use this, use this stage as an altar, or just worship, lift your hands high and worship God. If you would bow your heads with me, I, I wonder if you would raise your hand, how many of you need a word from the Lord this morning? All right, I hear you. I hear you. How many of you need God to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out some sort of rain on your life or ministry or family. I hear you. How, how many of you need to cast down some idol in your life? Perhaps it's been erected in your life. Okay. So let's not just go to church. Let's be church. Let's seek the face of God. And let's just spend these next few minutes and respond.